Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Life as Leadership podcast. We're going to be talking about Monday's interview with Greg Nance on his ultra marathon experience, his adventures and all that. Joining me back in the studio are my friends and fellow leaders, Thomas Tubby, Parker Batista and Maria Hardiman. What did y'all think about the episode? It was intense. I am... I don't know how he was able to accomplish all of those things. I mean, he goes on to explain his his mind process about it all, but it was it was really inspiring. It was, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I liked the the background behind not just the uh, seven marathons, but the prep and the thinking that went behind him. I really enjoyed the tenacity he had in during the moments of adversity that he talked about in several of his different you know activities he did. There are moments where he was like really down and really maybe even injured. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I could have felt sorry for myself, could have played a victim. But I just decided, you know, this is something I've set out to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to see it to the end no matter what. And I really like that. <laughs> yeah. So, Maria, you actually kind of talked about this or addressed it a little bit in your answer already. But Greg said in the interview that every single one of us is capable of so much more than what we're currently accomplishing. And then he said, so much of what holds us back is that we're afraid of failing essentially so is that something and really greg's whole story is 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 that something that you find inspiring or when you hear all that he's done with his life so far is that something that you find overwhelming it's a little bit of both for me when i first heard his story i was definitely inspired i was like the fact that one guy has started two companies and has gone traveled to all these places not just traveled but like done very strenuous very hard activities not a lot of people have done it just it really inspired me to want to better myself, you know, but also at the same time, I was, I was thinking, do I have the skills it takes to, you know, just on on the business side of things to do, you know, what he was able to do to have those leadership skills. And then I know I don't have the physical thing. My <laughs> knees are terrible, so I can never do those runs. But, you know, it, so it, it was a little bit of mixed emotions for me, I guess I was inspired and also pretty overwhelmed by yeah. how much he had done. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with Thomas on that one. I think it was sad just to think about the opportunities that I haven't taken or other people have taken and I've seen because of the fear of failure. But I think I'm really excited about once you work through that and get over it, what you can accomplish and experience on the other side of that. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel inspired. I have no track record of doing anything close to what he's been able to accomplish, but I think it is really encouraging and inspiring that it can be done. And he shows us that that it can be done time and time again. Yeah, and just to recap, uh, he said when he heard about it, I don't think this is the updated stats uh, based on what he just finished, but he said when he first heard about the World Marathon Challenge, 104 people had completed it, compared to 563 who'd been to outer space that's wild. and 4,500 who climbed Mount Everest. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That's very incredible. Yeah, so uh, he, he talked about using the World Marathon Challenge as a way to inspire people. So 
I wanted to see if y'all have ever had any situations in your life that you've used to inspire people, a situation or maybe a position in your work, something you've used to inspire people through what you were doing. I know for me, it goes back to, I think a lot of people have done this, not just me, but is when you go through something that's really hard person in your life, like let's say the death of a family member, how you handle that situation, you know, if you handle it with grace and you really trust for, if you're spiritual, you trust, you know, God's comfort will come from that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, people, it can really inspire people to see like, you know, if you're going, I I know my wife, she works as a nurse with cancer patients and sometimes she gets patients who, you know, you wouldn't even know they had cancer because they're handling it so well. Yeah. And so those kind of situations can be really inspiring. I think to people to see, wow, they're going through so much. I'm not going through anything what they're going through and I complain more than they do type thing, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, whether it's like a daily compliment or an award or something bigger, I think it's exactly what Thomas said as far as communicating the people around you. If it's not because of, you know, some talent or something that I've been given necessarily, but just a mentality and that that same mentality is completely accessible to them um, if they want it to be there. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about how I have tried to be intentional when I have accomplished something or maybe whenever I've lost something. So let's just say it's a competition. If I've won, how do I display humility in that? And when I lose, how do I display humility in that? Knowing that people are watching and as a leader, um, how do I handle those situations? Mm-hmm. Kind of like you mentioned um, is really, really important. Yeah. Part of the leader's mindset, I think, should be just realizing that you are being watched. Mm hmm. You're out in front of people. Uh, you may not actually be on stage or something like that, but as a leader, there are people who are looking to what you're doing. And at the end of the day, whether you realize it or not, whether you try to or not, you're going to be influencing how other people act. And realizing that, even if you don't have a formal leadership position, is super mm-hmm. important because people are going to be following your lead. You're a leader. People are going to be following your lead. The question is, are you thinking about yourself as a leader? Because if you do, then that kind of changes how you act and how you think. And so just even having that leadership mindset is super important. One of my favorite parts about Greg's interview was the way he incorporated what he was passionate about into his personal life as well. You know, his professional life is around this education, academic world. And then he incorporated his favorite hobby, which was running. You know, he incorporated that education. You know, he did that uh, seven marathon in seven days and seven continents he did that with the mindset of helping students that are at risk to overcome you know the financial burdens of getting into college you know so his whole life is kind of centered around his purpose and i think that's a really cool thing as a leader to do because he's able to lead not only in his professional world but also in his own personal life too he lives it out yeah he talked about finding your tribe in this interview which i thought was really important and i think it it, is important because it works a couple different ways he said when he was running uh, some of the things that kept him going was he realized that there were people out there that he was trying to inspire and what would it look like if he didn't actually finish what he set out to do Mm. you know he's really uh setting an example for these kids who come from underprivileged backgrounds and what are they going to think if it's oh greg's out there doing something that's really tough and he quits and so that kind of kept him going you know this is part of his tribe so to speak uh in, in addition to that um there were also people that he was representing he said he was he was wearing a company's jersey And he realized that when he was running, he was representing them in a way and he was making them look a certain way. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of up to him how he made them look. And then in addition to that, he did what he did in some way to prove it to himself. And so it's kind of this interesting thing where when you're part of a tribe, you have people that you are helping out. But he also told stories about how they helped him out 
when he was in a really tough situation, the letters, the encouragement he got. So it's a good reminder to us to have people around you because you're going to need it at some point, Mm -hmm. but also the people around you are going to need you to be able to help them. Yeah. I like the part too, where the guys that were in the race were encouraging him too. Cause I think as a competitor, I used to be like, well, I want to win. So (laughs) when I show up, I want those guys to be at their worst so that I can win. But I think being a true competitor is helping those around you and wanting them to be at their absolute best and you to be at your absolute best and maybe still win. But the outcome is so much different when it's, you know, it's not who they are necessarily, but what you do. Yeah. That can be a difficult mindset though. For sure. So, (laughs) so I know that we have a number of people who have been in high competition arenas before. Have you ever had situations where you have been able to help out the people that you were competing against? Yeah, one comes to mind. I was in uh, I was in competitive archery while in college, and a guy, we were in San Diego, and we're shooting in nationals, a guy that was beside me. Every round, he had this one arrow that would just go so far out, and I knew it wasn't because of anything that he was doing, um, and I thought about it for a while, and I was like, hey, man, check your knock. It's probably bent, and he checked, and he was like, oh, thanks, man. Like, you didn't have to tell me that, and I was like, yeah, I didn't, but like me sitting there thinking about it. I would rather just tell the guy instead of me right. think it and not tell him and kind of not that I had to. It's a competition. I don't think it's an honesty thing, but why not tell him? And I still beat him at the end of the day, but I felt better about it. <laughs> yeah. and a, a good competitor wants good competition. Yeah. Absolutely. And a good competitor has integrity. That's just how it is. A good leader has integrity and that's what it's about. Sure. I know. Uh, I, I, it's not really a personal experience. It's a movie I watched. Um, the it's with uh, we uh, we are Marshall. I don't know if y'all have seen that movie. Oh yeah, yeah. The story about the Marshall University school that uh, their plane went down, and then so they were trying to rebuild their football program. During that whole process, they you know they're starting from the ground up, so they didn't have really an offensive game plan or anything. So they went to their rival school, West Virginia, and asked if they could watch their tapes to see to run their offense basically. And West Virginia was kind enough to let them watch their tapes and run their offense that they had at that time. And I, I thought I think that's the greatest display of like like you said integrity and good competition. Uh, being a good competitor, their good sportsmanship for sure is like letting a rival school watch your tapes after something like that. Yeah. So one of my barbers when I was younger, he actually went to Marshall during that time, and he let me know that he did not remember any time where the campus went outside and we're, we're chanting "We are." Really? So, <laughs> a little sorry, bit of cinematic. Sorry to let you down. A little bit of Hollywood in there. Yeah, exactly. A little bit exactly. of drama there. But that is a great example. So going back to the tribe thing, one thing I thought of is that, you know, the way Greg, he's, he was, had sponsors on his jerseys and all that sort of thing. We are also representatives every day and just don't always take the time yeah, to realize absolutely. it, whether it's for our families or the, maybe the church organization we're part of, or the school we're a part of, the program we represent, we're representatives every day too, and can be leaders in that. You know, cause another thing we talked about was you don't have to have a title in order to really, you know, be a leader. Sometimes it's just the organization you're associated with is, is a rep, you can be a representative for. Sure. It's definitely important to think about who you are representing. If you haven't thought about that already, who, what in your life, what people, what organizations are you representing when you act a certain way? Absolutely. I know that one thing that's been really brought to my attention lately is my grandmother expressed to me how much she looks up to me and how much she sees what I'm doing. And she told me just recently that I'm the light of her life with tears in her eyes and just talking to me very passionately about how she feels about me and what I'm accomplishing in my life. I really didn't know that. I don't know that people watch you that that closely. And I guess you take family members for granted sometimes. You don't realize mm-hmm. that you're representing them and they're saying, hey, I'm living this life with you. You know, and anything that you accomplish and any 
anything that you achieve is my achievement as well. The same thing with your losses. And so anyways, I, that this interview really kind of made me think about that too. Yeah, I think a hard question that I ask myself is in what areas or what times in my life do I want to check out and not wear the jersey and not be a part of the team? Mm. So, you know, whether that's in rush hour traffic and I don't feel like being the person that I know I am or in the harder moments of life, in what moments do I feel like it would just be easier to not represent the greater, you know, whole of what I represent? Yeah, and I think that momentary loss kind of goes back to something else that Greg brought up, which is in difficult times, if you don't really have a clear idea of who you are, really what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And he said there were times, especially when it gets difficult, he, he asked the question, what am I doing here? Hmm. What in the <laughs> world am I doing here? And have there, have there been times like that in your lives where you were someplace, whether it's outdoors doing something crazy or whether it's just in your daily life where you've said, what am I doing here? I think it's happened a lot for me uh, in the outdoors and doing crazy stuff. But I think the biggest moment that it hit me was in school when I was in business in undergrad. And it hit me that I didn't want to do business. I didn't mm-hmm. want to do business for one hour or for the rest of my life. And I had spent four years doing it. Um, so kind of had to restructure what I wanted to do, what you know the end goal in my life was. And that was not what I was doing at that moment. I could say the same thing. I moved myself to Chicago and was in an internship and had been offered a job in marketing. And I was very serious about taking that job. But there was a moment where I said, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I don't even enjoy this. And so I felt the same way. I don't want to spend one more day pursuing this dream that really isn't mine. I can think of a time I spent a summer uh, in Uganda, Africa, and I guess the first half week or maybe even the first week, I didn't really get the full cultural orientation. And so about a weekend, I found out I've been doing a whole lot of things <laughs> wrong. You know, one of the things is eating with your left hand, which is a big no-no. Well, I'm left-handed. So wow. here I am sitting face to face with this Ugandan <laughs> man and, you know, having this conversation. Here I am eating with my left hand, nice. just being as offensive as I can be and not having any idea. <laughs> Other things, you know, like um, apparently you're supposed to be, at least in this area, uh, carrying things in bags. Uh, if you if you if you show things to people, if they see them and, and they want them, that's kind of something that's on you. You're not supposed to really show people the things that you have. You don't want to create envy and things like that. I had no idea, so it's kind of it's a decent bag. wasn't anything nice. It wasn't a black <laughs> plastic bag for sure. I'm just carrying my stuff around. Find out that that's not something I'm supposed to be doing. So it's, it's those types of things. And you know, I'm like, I, I go through this cultural orientation. What am I doing here? Like, mm-hmm. what in the world? How many other things? How how many other ways have I been offensive to the people here? And I had no idea. And then you got to really think, well, why am I here? And say, regardless of what's happened so far, I got to get back to it because yeah. I'm here for a purpose. And sure, I might have messed up along the way. I might have not, you know, done everything right. But you really have to get back to your purpose. Definitely. And one example I had was... I was doing a service project called Habitats for Humanity, where the, essentially you're just building a house in areas that need housing. And uh, we were just doing the framework on the house and it you know, requires a lot of just ha- like hands-on work, like hammering and stuff. So um, I was doing some hammering of some frames. And by the time I hit my thumb the 20th time with the hammer, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why <laughs> am I go. out here suffering this? You know, and it was a little cold that day. Yep. And you just really, in that moment, you have to take a step back and not think about yourself so much and think, what's the bigger purpose? You know, what's the bigger picture here? This is going to be a house one day for somebody right. who needs it. You know, I can hit my thumb a couple more times and it's going to be worth it. Sure. Yeah. 
and that goes back once again to kind of being able to put yourself out there for the good of other people. Definitely. Yeah. I think when I think of uh, Greg's story, the word like grit and toughness come to mind, specifically mental toughness. Yeah. And I wonder, because I think we perform at our lowest level when things get tough and it gets chaotic and stressful. So I wonder like what areas in our lives do we improve in the day to day to improve that grit, just the ability to endure more for longer. I think I think of myself more as a, a workhorse instead of a trick pony. Yeah. Um, so it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be done maybe the quickest or the fastest or the easiest, but it's going to get done uh, because of that grit. One way that I think he encouraged us to do that practically is just have more grit is that self-talk. He mentioned that uh, at one point just to motivate yourself and, and encourage yourself to keep going. Um, one thing that I tend to say in my head a lot, maybe not out loud, is tough skin, soft heart. So be sensitive to the people around you, but have thick skin to be able to weather life storms. I love the way he put it where he said, and I think it was baseball or some, I think it was something of a sport like that where, you know, you strike out and you fall down. Well, now it's time to go play defense. You know, that's the mindset you have to have. It's like, yes, I failed, but what's the next thing now that the next challenge I'm taking on and how am I going to improve there? Uh, another thing that, that Greg said, just to kind of make sure that he's living purposefully kind of one of those uh tips he gave is to make sure you have a morning routine that's a simple thing but it's simple as long as you are doing a number of other things like getting to bed at a decent hour and whatnot Mm -hmm. but really it's it's a number of those types of things that reshape how you go throughout your day it is it's funny how you can change one or two things and they have a, a continuing effect on other aspects of your life. I think it's a really important thing to to have some of the basic things in life situated so that when the tough times come, you kind of are already in that almost workhorse mentality like you were talking about. So you, even if there are a number of things in your life that are varying and changing, if you keep a couple of those important things in place, it provides a lot of stability. And one thing that just came to mind for me too, when I think of that, you know, we're functioning at our lowest level. How can we make it the best that it can possibly be. One way my mom used to put it all the time was you want to be proactive rather than reactive to the things that happen in life. And so yeah. whatever that plan ahead looks like, you know, we have to plan ahead for things that are going to go wrong before they go wrong. That way, when the moment comes, we're not just reacting, you know, immediately to the situation. So that could be something as simple. Um, if you know you have a deadline that's coming up in the next week and you have time in the current week to get it done, why not go ahead and get it done rather than mm-hmm. sitting and watching TV? You know, so like when next week comes and let's say you get a flat tire and you're dealing with a flat tire, you miss the deadline, you know, and you could have had it already done and you don't have to react to that situation of the tire being flat. You've already proactively gotten the work done. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things is if you're listening right now and saying, what do I need to be proactive about? Uh, the question maybe could be, what are you being reactive about right now? Yes. Go ahead and be proactive about those things. And I've gotten, I've gotten stuck at times in life where I am trying to do what I've already kind of uh, missed out on to catch up. But sometimes you just got to cut your losses. Now, right. uh, I will trust that if you're listening to this, you'll have enough wisdom to figure out what you can cut your losses on and what you cannot cut your losses on. But let's say you're getting behind on these projects, but you're also trying to catch up. You're not getting enough sleep, whatever. Well, look, turn in something late. Get a good night's sleep. Start well the next day. At some point, you got to cut your losses. And, and whatever you're being reactive about right now, how can you be proactive about those things? And that will really get you going in the right direction. Definitely. Yeah, I think it's the ability to decipher between the urgent and the important. 
Mm, that's good. That is good. Talk about that a little bit more. What do you mean by that? Uh, I think I'll just speak personally. I think I get distracted by the things that are right in front of me that I think are the most urgent in the moment. And then that distracts me with, you know, time and energy basically. And then later on down the road, I think, why did the important things get neglected? Well, it's because I did all of the urgent things that were right in front of my face without having, you know, the wherewithal to look long-term and long distance, what is actually important for me. To some degree, we all like to think that we are busy in our lives. I think a lot of people are, but we definitely all like to talk like we are. So uh, (laughs) regardless of that, what are some keys that you found to help you get your priorities straight so that even if you are busy, you're doing those important things rather than just doing things that are urgent? How do you get your priorities straight? Yeah, I write out what I want to accomplish by the end of the day versus what do I need to accomplish. Is that something that you do like every morning or the night before? How do you how do you handle that? Uh, both, just depending on schedule. I don't have uh, one or the other. My job requires me to manage a house. And so my priorities really do look like what does the house need? What do the people who are living in my house need? I'd mentioned earlier that I work in a group home. So my my personal life right now is really wrapped up in what their needs are. So my priorities is making sure that doors are locked and unlocked at a certain time that, you know, people are being fed, that the house is clean. And so I'm in a stage of life right now that is very simple and my priorities are, are, you know, few. It's just getting basic needs met for the people that I live with. So are there ever times where people need something, but you can see that it's, it's more one of those urgent things rather than something that's important? Maybe if they want something right away and I don't have, have it, you know, then they'll just have to wait. But I just try to meet them where they're at and accommodate their needs. Sure. For me personally, that I kind of break it down into these, what I call, I guess, like pillars of my life that are really important. So marriage and family is like one pillar. School right now is another one. And then my spiritual life is like another one. You know, so I, I think of those three and kind of similar to what Parker said, you kind of have this idea once you start the day. Just for me, it's these three things. What are within these three pillars? What are things that really need to be addressed today? And some of that comes naturally, like with marriage, you know, it's just kind of like we're both living together. So we kind of know each other's needs by communication, but other things like school require maybe a little bit more planning. Um, not to say that marriage, that marriage actually does do better when you do plan ahead, like dates and stuff. So not to say you shouldn't plan at all with certain things, but definitely you have to set those priorities. Cause for me, I'm a high aspirations kind of person. Like, Oh, well, this is, you know, I end up writing down so many things I want to get done. It becomes, Oh, I'm overwhelming myself. So you really do have to think about what actually needs to be done today and just kind of getting that done and then having a plan maybe ahead for, okay, these are things I can get done later and uh, setting dates for those maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just that good thing to remind ourselves that we do have the time, but what are our priorities? And if we don't have time, then it probably shows us that our priorities somewhere along the way aren't right. So that can be a challenging thing to think through and a very important one for anyone who wants to have a high impact life. If you want to do a lot of things with your life, you want to make a lot of impact, then you need to make sure you have your priorities straight and you're using your time exactly how you need to be using it. Well, let's go ahead and turn to our takeaways for the day. What were some of the key things from this interview, the second interview with Greg Nance that you think are important for our listeners? One thing I wrote down was breaking things down into small milestones 
the phrase I think of is you can't eat an elephant all at once, you know, so like you really do have to take things in pieces. So if you have this big goal, this big aspiration you're trying to work towards, well, you know, realistically, you're probably not going to get it done within the next week. So what are the milestones and the timetable that goes with that that you want to get done? It could be something really small to start off with within the next day. And then that builds to something you do within the week that builds to something you do within the month that ultimately reaches you to your, you know, your highest aspiration, the goal you've set. Kind of going back to that. Yeah. What, what's the next smallest step you can take? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. I really like what he said about plan the work and work the plan. And I would just say, you know, what's your why, you know, what's your reason for what you're doing? And if you can't come up with a why or a good reason, then, then why are you doing it? Um, so just kind of going back to that basic uh, step of, you know, what is my goal and how do I reach it and what is distracting me from doing that? Mm-hmm. His intensity really inspired me. You know, near the end of his interview, he talked about remaking his body all over again in order to accomplish a new task. And that is just so intense. And that's such a that's such a crazy goal. It makes me go, OK, what what kind of crazy goal can I set for myself? So really just a takeaway for me was saying I need to really think outside of the box and and understand that I'm capable of more than maybe what I'm doing right now. Absolutely. And it sounds like Greg's going to be doing a lot more. So be sure to follow him on Instagram. Definitely. It, I went it, and gave him a follow actually <laughs> so just to keep up with him. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what he's doing. And uh, if he can set some more records in the future, it'd be cool to be able to watch those as they're happening. So usually I have three takeaways. There were four this week that I wanted to highlight. The first is that we're all capable of so much more. That's how we began this interview, talking about that a little bit. This isn't something that should discourage us, but it's something that should motivate us. Yeah, sometimes we hear we hear something and people saying what they do and we're not doing it, so we kind of feel ashamed. But this is something I think that really should be inspiring us. We don't need to be like Greg. We don't need to be the CEO of Dyad.com or do education mentorship. But what can we be doing and what can we be doing well? Uh, the second thing is when things get overwhelming, break it down to that next small step, kind of like what you were talking about, Tubby. What's that next thing? Because sometimes we can get overwhelmed. So if the big vision is too overwhelming, what's that next smallest step that you can take? One more thing I wanted to add, Josh, was that I I really enjoyed that he said was sometimes he gets so bogged down in his inbox and social media, you know, his email inbox and social media, that sometimes he just needs to take a step back. And I think it's something we miss a lot because, you know, this this podcast is about leadership and leadership is so important. And sometimes you get so focused on becoming the best leader you can that you forget, well, sometimes I, I do need to take a step back and do something else. And for him, it was running early in the mornings, helped him think clearly. And then he had a great plan that he came up with during that four hour run, you know, like, so we got to find that thing for us that kind of helps us get away from our work for a little bit. Cause there really is something to be said. Like when you set something to the side and you look at it again, you see it from a whole new perspective. So I think it's really important to drive home that point that sometimes you have to take a step back that's rather good. than continue to like really grind something in your head. Yeah, that's a great point. The third takeaway for me is that we all have time, but what are our priorities? And I think that's a really challenging question for each one of us. Number four, find your tribe that will support you and that you can be a part of. And that's kind of what this podcast is about. The Life is Leadership podcast is about uh, being a, a group of people that can motivate and inspire you. And hopefully you can motivate and inspire other people as well. Well, thank you for joining us for these last two weeks. It's been, I think, a really good and challenging couple of weeks hearing from Greg. I hope that all of you listeners enjoyed it. Uh, I know I did. And uh, Tubby, Parker, Maria, thank you for joining me and helping me to talk about these interviews. This was so fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining the show this week. I hope you learned something new and feel more prepared to take leadership in your own life to the next level. 
If you found this content valuable and would like to help out the podcast, here are three things you can do. One, subscribe to the podcast so you'll get new episodes each week as they come out. Two, share this week's interview with someone you think could benefit from it. Or three, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All three of these actions will make it easier for others to find us and join the community. You can never have too many good leaders, right? Until next time, keep living and leading well. Thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>